Hey guys, welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Bill Simmons' Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast is officially out. This new podcast extends and reinvents his New York Times number one best-selling book from 2009 and breaks down the NBA's most important games, players, and teams. Starting with Steve Kerr in the premiere episode, Bill's using new commentary and fresh interviews to determine how the league has evolved and where it's headed. Check out The Book of Basketball on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, today the Disney Plus streaming service went online. You know how I know that? Because every single ESPN employee tweeted about it. What I want to know is, do you agree with Adam Schefter that Disney Plus will, quote, change lives? <laughs> um, I am going to be very generous to Adam Schefter and to Stephen A. Smith and uh, Woj and everybody else that tweeted about this. Um, of all of the cro- uh, the 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 cross promotional uh, garbage <laughs> that they could have been forced to do, promoting Disney Plus is a wonderful is a wonderful version of it. Uh, I've I am already a paid subscriber. I am proud to say I've already right. watched The Mandalorian. I'm already gearing up to show to to watch uh, some Pixar movie with my family tonight. I'm sure. Um, can we can we say least bad version of it you could do? <laughs> Instead of a wonderful, is there any wonderful this will change cross promotion? All, all, all I'm going to say is when I'm sitting down on the couch tonight, uh, trying to figure out what uh, two adults can possibly sit through that an 11 year old wants to see, I will say this, the Disney Plus app may well change my life. This is they, I, I may well be changed by this. <laughs> I like that spoken as a dad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, it, this is it, it's pretty hilarious. I, I woke up this morning. Uh, I was watching Get Up, and they were in a in a great in a great example of synchronicity. You know, they're all the Simpsons. This complete Simpsons library is on Disney Plus, which is brilliant of Disney to to move that property over there. Uh, and and on Get Up, they were ranking the top ten sports, uh, I mean, athlete guest appearances on the Simpsons. Oh, um, I mean, it was just. It, I mean, the 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 potential crossover appeal here is just never ending. And I think that um, uh, we're probably. I think you know. I think ESPN is going to take its licks uh, from folks like us and from you know overworked Twitter jokes and everything else. But man, it's sort of uh, it's it will change lives. That's, that's pretty incredible stuff. <laughs> we are the Werner Herzog of media podcasts. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. We got lots and lots of stuff to get to today. We'll talk about Donald Trump's sports stadium tour across America. What happens when you mistranscribe the tape of a major presidential candidate, the most gloriously named guy in a news story you'll ever see, plus the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we got to start with the billionaire presidential candidate who is reluctant to show his taxes. No, not that one. I'm talking about Mike Bloomberg. The New York Times' Alex Burns broke the story late Thursday that Bloomberg is preparing to run for president. He filed to run in Alabama in the primary last week. He's in Arkansas today, apparently to file in that primary as we record this. The first question is the most obvious one, which is how seriously do we take this? Both from, is there any chance Bloomberg could win the Democratic nomination that's one. And two, what are the cousin Sal odds that <laughs> Bloomberg is actually going to run for president? And this is not just a big show that ends with a whimper. Oh, my gosh. 
Um, I think that the odds. Wait, the odds of him running or the odds of him winning? Which one? Are, which one are we talking about? Uh, I kind of want both, but uh, order answer in whatever order you think. I just want to say off the top that I don't think the odds are particularly high or very high at all that he would win. I don't think the odds in reality are so high that he would run, especially considering it seems like uh, the trial balloon went up and he immediately just like decided not to do it, or at least it's, that feels like with the, the pattern that we're in right now. And it's just like terribly disheartening. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of reasons, but, 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 but to think that this dude has the, <laughs> has the wherewithal to, to functionally launch a presidential campaign in at least one state. I mean, to get to get on the ticket, to the the fi- financially, that's that's no small thing. To have to start pulling a campaign staff together and uh, and the connections to get all these news stories out there about him about him potentially running for president. And it's all just a little like sh- shrugging shoulders trial balloon. And the, and it's and that he just kind of wanted to like feel out the world to see what the reaction would be. It's like either run for president mm-hmm. or don't. But don't like half-ass it just because you got the billion dollars to do it. I mean, it's just it just I, I don't under like I know that he is. I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm getting too deep. I, I I already feel it, but who cares? I know that there is this like <laughs> there is this like mysterious vocal cabal of centri- of powerful centrists out there that is just like trying to talk anybody into running for president. My guess is it's probably like one dude with money. But whatever, and but the idea that we're just like Jeff Bezos, whoever else is trying to talk people into running for running for president, without any regard for the fact of just like the way that this just like scorches the earth for all of the existing candidates, it just seems so misbegotten, so disheartening. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's get back to the the, the timeline that we've laid out here. I'm sorry. No, no. It's I I, I think you've hit on the question, which is which is. Why is he even doing the parade in front of the TV people in the centrist part of this? I, I kind of think if you're a normal elite politician, let's say you're Amy Klobuchar or you're Cory Booker, you need the full presidential campaign to kind of attain that, you know, you get get out there. That that's the ego stroke, right? You you also want to win, but that but but part of what you're doing is saying I can do this, and I want to see how people respond. If you're a billionaire like Bloomberg, I think really you only need a couple of days of this, and there's a really good chance that at that point he's going to be like, you know what, that was fun. That was that was you know I just need I needed I needed Chuck Todd to to say that I would that I could be elected, and and I'm all good, and and now I can go back to supporting causes I want to support. I just think there's different levels of this. And should, by the way, should we listen to Chuck Todd? Because we do have this queued up. Yeah, do do this. This is great. When you, because <laughs> you kind of had to look for somebody this week who was saying this is a good idea, who was not a who was not a fellow billionaire. It turns out it's NBC's Chuck Todd. Listen to him explain why he thinks Bloomberg could upend the Democratic race for the nomination. Guns and climate. Who's to his left? Well, Beto, Beto was to his left okay. on guns, but he's not going to be a factor <laughs> any yeah. longer. Right? Uh, I mean, so... Also the governor of... Uh, of uh, I don't make know, an argument. know that Bloomberg has embraced the Green New Deal. I don't think he's embraced that. Priority. I agree. So that's one area where he actually is more to the center than, than she is. You know, in the smoke-filled room, you'd say, on paper, Bloomberg has the right balance of what you want to win a broad election. Maybe not a deep election, but if you're trying to win the suburban, the ex-suburban Republican which, by the way, Michael Bloomberg's an ex-suburban, arguably an ex-urban Republican. 
And at the same time, you care about these core progressive issues like guns uh, and climate. It, 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 it ain't just somebody buying an election. No, I'm trying to think of Michael Bloomberg as the nominee in Western Pennsylvania. I know what you're thinking. The suburbs of Michigan, of the Michigan suburbs, the Ohio suburbs, the Wisconsin suburbs. By the way, there's only one money made for him. Huh? It's the same running mate Joe Biden has to pick, and it's the same money mate Pete Buttigieg has to pick. It's Stacey Abrams, by the way. There's nobody else that Bloomberg can match up with if he someone got this nomination than Stacey Abrams. Why? Yes. I think he has to have a person of color. Huh? I think he needs a diversity on the ticket, person of color, no? Uh, I, I don't know what he would need. I'm just trying to think of uh, Bloomberg selling nationally in the nitty-gritty of the key swing places. Maybe he can. Look, I didn't think New York, but I didn't think New York City, but I thought that was a problem for Trump. Like, I think we all thought New York City doesn't sell in America, and yet, what were the two nominees? Well, Trump was the candidate from The Apprentice. He wasn't the candidate from New York. I just think the New York And the guy that talks their language, which Michael Bloomberg doesn't. No, but I do think that, I don't, I don't think that's going to be as problematic. I think as it Republicans could have been even a decade. No, Republicans are ready to hit him on the two issues you just said, right? Mm -hmm. Climate and guns. They're going to paint him as Elizabeth Warren. He is that extreme, is what they're going to say. Sure, but Elizabeth Warren's going to paint him as as a closet right winger. So in some ways, he's going to be. He could be bookended well, maybe. Maybe <laughs> before we get to the general, though, there is the primary, and you, when oh you God. think about right, Bloomberg's entry in relation. <laughs> I, I've heard enough. I feel like that's like 19D chess. That I Chuck know. Todd is immediately, Chuck Todd's immediately going now. Now, who is going to be Bloomberg's running mate? And everybody on the panel's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I know that was that was the moment where the curtain got pulled back a little bit, and someone off stage was yelling, "Like, pay no attention to the talk to the talking head behind the curtain or what?" I mean, it was just like way too. <laughs> it got so horse racy that it just invalidated everything else, as if everything else he said wasn't already nonsense. I mean, I don't know if he was trying to make the case that Bloomberg is actually more of a lefty than we're giving him credit for. So we should start giving him credit. I don't, I'm not sure that anybody's going to be compelled into believing that the billionaire technocrat that was f literal, literally a former Republican is count. I mean, is more liberal than Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders for Pete's sake. You know, I mean, it just doesn't, it, I just don't know what the point of making that case is. I don't know really what the point of, I mean, we, uh, he he's got he's got to win you know he's got to have a constituency and he's got to have a constituency that's bigger than Jeff Bezos and Chuck Todd yeah I mean he's just like I get the I get the horse racy intrigue but it's not uh, I mean he this was he was a he was a we I mean he was a punchline for us when we were trying to make sense of De Blasio running and I don't think mm -hmm. that despite the fact that he was a more successful mayor and more successful and a very successful businessman and and obviously a very committed you know committed uh po political uh thinker i don't think that that validates a run for presidency certainly not an insurgent run if he wants to run as a third party or something then like you know more power to oh him boy but it's this whole thing and now we're talking about deval patrick today and i know i'm skipping ahead but deval but deval patrick's jumping in by the way i want to correct something i said earlier i said that mike bloomberg was Looked like he was already backing off his presidential run, but he did tweet today a picture of him having a lunch with uh, Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott Jr. So he's obviously <laughs> not. He's obviously still running, running, running. I mean, I don't understand. Every time someone else, of course, I've said it before. Every politician, every politician, everybody running for president desperately wants to be president. We know that. And they all have this dream that they're going to 
step out their front door and there's going to be, you know, a million Americans that just like chant them into the White House. You know, I mean, that, that they're going to they're going to ride in on their white horse and save the and save democracy and, and go down in history as the greatest president ever. And and but listen, I mean, you can't just I mean, if you disrupt a political process the way that like all of these weird Bloomberg and Deval Patrick and everybody else are threatening to do, then you can, then, I mean, it, 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 it just, I, I, it's just crazy. It's crazy. I, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't, I, I understand why their, why their ego is driven to this point, but like the idea that there's not a centrist candidate out there, there's the idea that there's a hole to fill. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know what, I don't know who it is that's, that's in their ear. And so you've got now Bloomberg, you've got potentially Deval Patrick. You've also, according to Washington Post, that Hillary Clinton has been fielding calls in recent days about whether to get into the race. Some close to her said, I'm reading from from a recent piece by Matt Viser, Michelle Yehi Lee, Annie Linsky, and Michael Scherer. I mean, I just can't believe. I mean, first of all, it is believable because this is an archetype, right? The panic candidate. Oh, my God, my party's going to blow it. So I need to come in and save the day. There was a good piece in uh, Politico magazine by Jeff Greenfield where he went through some of the great panic candidates of our lifetime and before. Do you remember Wesley Clark in 2004? Yeah, definitely. Coming in and going, ah, see, I'm I'm a general. Democrats have a problem with Iraq. Remember Fred Thompson in 2008? Oh, God, yeah. Getting in and kind of when, when things, Gary Hart kind of qualifies as this guy, Jerry Brown from California back in the 70s. There is this whole idea of this person coming in on the horse and and they're going to save the party from certain ruin. I guess the question I have for you, if we're both extremely skeptical of Bloomberg in all kinds of ways is, is he right to panic? Is he right to look at the four front runners in this race, which would be Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders in no particular order and say, those four people aren't great candidates that if one of them gets in there, we might blow this. Is he right to panic? Uh, no, I don't, I I don't think so. Especially not not, waiting. He's not not right. I don't, I don't, I don't believe so. Especially not wait against the potential, the potential damage his, his own candidacy could do the party. I mean, maybe I'm just overreacting. Dave Weigel had a really smart tweet the other day where he said, when we look back at 2019, I think people will ask why the moderate rescue plan was a Bloomberg candidacy and not like Bloomberg giving $100 million to a Booker Super PAC, which I think is exactly right. I don't know that we'll look back, anyone will look back and think that. I think that's the exact right question to ask, though. Uh, I think that the that raises an interesting question, which is if if it suddenly became worrisome, who was the candidate that a month ago Bloomberg had hope in and why not help that candidate, right? If it, if, if this is a sudden issue and not one that's dated back to the very beginning of the primaries, uh, what changed? What's the problem? Um, I'm, I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of money to give liberal candidates who are probably very leery of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and everything they represent. Um, you know, I would like to think on some level that they should be worried, and I, but I, I kind of more deeply believe that they probably don't have a ton to worry about in the grand scheme of things, or at least at, in the extreme, they'll be fine. <laughs> um, 
But it is interesting. I I don't know that. I just don't know. I I don't think that if if the soul if the if the goal at the, at the if the end goal is beating Trump, I don't think that Bloomberg's fears, uh, as you stated, are particularly rational. If the if the fear is not letting Trump or Bernie or even Elizabeth Warren win the presidency, then I can see why someone in his position might want to jump in. And that's that definitely is his other fear for sure. No, I I I I think. I think I agree with you. I think to just try to get into the mind of him and a bunch of centrists, they look at this, they look at the polls and think they're sort of lopsided, right? They would rather that top four include Booker, Klobuchar, and somebody else like that. Maybe, maybe you know, there, there are a couple of centrists in the race, right? It's just that Pete Buttigieg has never won even a state election. Uh, and then you've got Joe Biden, whose rickety performance is scaring everybody to death. So I think they would just rather the polls sort of be flipped upside down and you have, you know, a Midwestern senator or, you know, a New Jersey senator or somebody who's going to come in and they would do that. So that's that's what's provoking all this. But I agree with you. I don't I don't know that it's going to damage the party at all. I don't think it'll matter. I think it'll be mostly a, a sideshow. I think it damages the party if we if we stipulate that he could have taken one hundred million dollars and just spent it on attacking Trump for the next 12 months. Which is yeah, probably no, what he should have done. He, here's how. Here's my fear about it, damaging the party. I don't think that there's some like. I don't think having another person on the debate stage is going to damage the party, no matter what their positioning is. I don't think that that uh, that having someone run a tough campaign against any of the front runners is going to damage the party. What I worry about is just this prolonged horse racy meta conversation that's never ending on television and and everywhere else <laughs> about well. the inadequacy of the current the current candidates. I mean, if that if that becomes what this if the, I mean, if there, there's no evidence of that particularly. I mean, you can you can point out that like Joe Biden is stumbling, but that doesn't that, that doesn't reflect negatively on the people around him. And the fact that I mean, we have a big field, it's 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 necessarily going to lend itself to the, some to a bunch of sort of variability and uncertainty. But the idea that this is all we're going to talk about on uh, you know MSNBC and and that and that Fox News is going to be over here guffawing about all this stuff, I think that that actually has the potential to, you know, hurt whoever ends up coming out of the Democratic primary. If our if our worry is that Morning Joe will continue to be underwhelmed by the Democratic field, we, we, there might be nothing we can do about that. Well, no, listen, I mean, <laughs> that's true. I think I heard Joe Scarborough uh, being incredibly complimentary of Elizabeth Warren this morning, at least in terms of how she's run her campaign, if not her mm-hmm. politics in particular. But uh, I... Uh, I I agree with that. I just think that the the thing that I I just think that one real lesson that that you know was obvious, but you know, may, was probably obvious beforehand, but but should have been taken from Trump four years ago is that some of these meta conversations sort of self actualize. You know, I mean, the more you talk about a thing on TV, the more it becomes a real thing. And I and I don't think that you know I think that especially in terms of like like Deval Patrick as a meaningful political figure. Now, listen, I like Deval Patrick. I, I, part of me thinks he would have been a good presidential candidate, but him as like a white knight riding in here and like trying to save the day, it's just so beside the point, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and all, that, all that, that entire conversation is only about Joe Biden being a dodo. I mean, really, I mean, and that's, and, and, <laughs> I, and I don't know, and, I, and, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the, you know, what, like how, how, I'm not sure what the what the positive spin on that would be. 
Can I can I say what I think is behind a lot of this, both from please the media and Democratic voters is we just hate uncertainty. I, I see this personally in our little sports world every time there's a college football playoff coming up and there's like, you know, somewhere between like eight to ten viable teams a month out. And everybody's like, what are we going to do? What? This is chaos. This is crazy. People, people hate uncertainty. And the fact that they don't know who's going to be the Democratic nominee. Yes. And they don't even have a really good idea just drives them up the fucking wall. And I think I think if Warren were just dominating right now, even if people weren't totally comfortably with some people weren't totally comfortable with her politically, they'd be like, okay, she she's it. Okay. Well, I understand I can wrap my brain around this. But I think not knowing just makes people go nuts. And I and I think that's some of the voter media angst here is they just don't know who the nominee is going to be. Yeah, they really don't. I think I there's there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I think that it's you cannot underplay that aspect of it. Um, and I think that trying to construct a narrative, even you know, I mean, one degree removed from that is, is tough. I mean, I, I think that it, Warren's campaign has. Warren's Warren's campaign, the, I mean, the the position that that, that campaign is in right now sh- could be. I mean, it's it's really easy to construct a narrative that where she's just run a remarkable grassroots campaign, is doing incredibly well, and and is over exceeding expectations by a lot. I think somehow she sort of like as soon as she took them, as soon as she kind of took the mantle of as of a front runner, one of the front runners, uh, people kept on trying to look beyond her, and I and I think that, and and even Pete Buttigieg, who's up 14 in Iowa, I mean, suddenly, and I mean, not 14 points, but over his, over his, from his last number. Yeah, according to the uh, poll, yeah. Raising money hand over fist. He's doing incredible. I mean, I just, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I, I struggled. I, I'm struggling with, with, with exactly what his narrative is going to be. I don't, I don't, I think the same people that are, that are eagerly anticipating a Bloomberg candidacy are, I think that a lot of this is not just about Biden, but it's also sort of an implicit reflection on him and his, whatever un, like understated inadequacy I, i'm not quite sure what it is i, I think that he's um I, I mean maybe sort of maybe a lot of the anxiety comes from him as well i mean i, I guess that's the the, the, mo- the most i could say about it let us break from our angst david to do the overboard twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media twitter made it at exactly the same time please send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received Bloomberg for president, David, might have produced one of the biggest, best-timed, overworked Twitter jokes in human history. It was an extraordinarily overworked Twitter joke to write, okay, Bloomberg. We would have also <laughs> accepted, okay, Bloomer. Thanks to Matt Zeitlin, David Uberti, Kyle Rather, Nick Field, Dr. Blumen, and Jeff Borden for that one. Beloved game show host Pat Sajak, David, had emergency surgery last week. For a blocked intestine, Vanna White had to step in and guest host Wheel of Fortune. Sajak now says he's doing well, and he'll be on the show next week, according to Twitter. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, I'd like to buy a bowel. I'd like to buy a <laughs> bowel. Thanks to the Chet Lemon and Bill for that one. Finally, David, some important post-Halloween news from Gothamist, quoting... NYPD announces arrest in case of smashed pumpkins. Oh NYPD gosh. announces arrest in case of smashed pumpkins. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, guessing the perp was a somewhat portly middle-aged bald man with very pale skin and a lot of guitars. <laughs> uh, 
We would have also accepted, despite all his rage, he is now just a guy in a cage. Also referring <laughs> to the alleged perp, despite all your rage, you cannot smash a gourd in this age. Thanks to Argyle Umbrella, Jump 6, and Chris Dealey. If you joked about a band that is not the official 90s band of the press box, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. We had a huge and very good LSU Alabama college football game on Saturday, which is notable for us because it was the latest stop on Donald Trump's stadium tour. He did the World Series. He did UFC. And now he did Bama LSU. Dave Weigel, the aforementioned tweet, sorry, been busy. Did the president actually keep going to sporting events until he found one where the crowd would cheer for him? Yes, he did. <laughs> and at Bama LSU, the Washington Post described the reaction as booze, cheers, and chants of USA. Um, someone from the Student Government Association at Bama sent an email before the game saying any organizations that engage in disruptive behavior during the game will be removed from block seating at Alabama football games instantly for the remainder of the season, which some people read as anti-protest. And there was a backtracking email saying from the same guy saying, my email has nothing to do with anyone's First Amendment rights, and I am sorry for the confusion. <laughs> uh, also notable at this game, David, Senate candidate Bradley Byrne running for the Republican nomination in Alabama was sitting with Trump in the box, not sitting with Trump in the box was Jeff Sessions, Trump's former attorney general, whom he made fun of relentlessly and is now running for his old seat. So that was pretty funny. Um, I want to share one more thing and we'll talk about Trump and sports. There were protesters outside Bryant Denny stadium in Tuscaloosa for the game with a 20 foot high baby Trump balloon. (laughs) <laughs> You've seen baby Trump. It was slashed uh, and deflated allegedly by a man named Hoyt Hutchinson. After his release, Hoyt Hutchinson spoke on Facebook Live. He said, some liberals tried to come to my hometown and start some trouble. That ain't happening. I did get arrested. I got charged. That's all right. I'd do it again, given the opportunity. That is real. That is not the Elmore Leonard novel about a president visiting a, a college football game in oh Alabama. Gosh. Incredible. Um, what do we think of Trump stadium tours? I mean, it, it's amazing that he has strung all these together. And as Weigel said, I do really think he was waiting to get the good reaction after UFC and the world series didn't go quite as he planned. Yeah. The UFC one I thought was really weird because while one might expect Trump to get a good reaction there. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that that's like the the victory that you're looking for, right? Like I got cheered at a UFC event. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure that that like makes up for past booings. Uh, LSU Alabama, I think, really fits the bill. You get cheered there. So what if it's like exactly, you know, that that, that crowd is right in your back pocket. That's like that's a major, major sporting event and, and is very presidential and, and everything else. Um, you know, so kudos to... Whoever thought that thought of that one, um, but yeah, it's a it is a weird, it's a weird, it's a <laughs> the tour is a weird thing, but you know, uh, for better and for more often than not worse, Trump's ego has driven him to the point where he is right now, and uh, and you know he's probably uh, helped him um, as much as it's hurt him during his uh, professional political career. So you know, 
keep going on, keep going to sporting events, you know, mess up traffic. It'll be, it's fun for everybody. He's certainly not obviously the first president to dip into these waters. Uh, college football, Richard Nixon, college basketball, Bill Clinton, all that stuff. The UFC thing was fascinating. And Jason Gay wrote a really great column, the Wall Street Journal about it. Oh yeah. Essentially saying if magazines still existed, that visit would have been a novella length Norman Mailer opus. Mm-hmm. That just that thing. I mean, getting the whole spectacle of cage fighting, of Trump and the kind of approach to politics he brings, of Dana White, who spoke at the RNC in 2016, of Joe Rogan, right? And his whole mm-hmm. crowd podcast listenership and how that kind of crosses over in certain ways with Trump's crowd. Trump came out to back in black, according to Jason Gay. I mean, just like, what? <laughs> I mean, which is just funny I'm like 19 levels the whole that's just I'm it that's one of those it's amazing this happened it's it, yeah. you know Trump goes to UFC I I told you know you if you somebody told you and I that after we'd been asleep for two weeks we would have said okay absolutely believe it but still just standing back a president visits the UFC and sits pretty close to the cage he was not he was he he turned down the box he wanted to be close to the action. Yeah. And that's just, I just don't even want to think about that. Well, but um, uh, it's incredible. Um, he made the right choice. There's nothing like sitting close to the cage for a, for an MMA fight. I, I can speak from <laughs> personal experience. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the only problem with the, with the, the hypothetical magazine piece that I would have loved to have read um, is that, as with just day-to-day politics, Trump steps on his own news so so quickly that, you know, that would have been an interesting story for about 15 minutes until somebody else wrote the piece about him going to the LSU-Bama game. Um, but that is, I mean, that would be, uh, I, that, I mean, that would just be an, an incredible, it was an incredible moment. It was an incredibly weird uh, just moment in presidential sports history and, and uh, uh, hopefully one we will never forget. Department of Transcription, David. Evan Halper, national reporter from the LA Times, made a mistake this weekend. His mistake was that he accidentally made a Pete Buttigieg quote interesting. <laughs> uh, Buttigieg was talking about his approach to healthcare and Joe Biden's. Uh, I'm going to give you some of the quote. He says, My message is not going back to where we were, getting back to normal. I think because I come from part of the country where normal has been a real problem for a very long time, I think the failures of the old, of the old normal help explain how we got to Trump, okay? What Halper had him saying was, I think the failures of the Obama administration help explain how we got to Trump. So we went from nice platitude to (laughs) shot at Obama. Halper, (laughs) to his credit, quickly and transparently corrected it, wore the hair shirt, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Liz Smith, who's the communications person for Buttigieg, tweets, for those who feel the need to dunk on the reporter who erroneously reported this, just don't. This episode taught us anything. It's that we need to be a little less dunking on Twitter. And Buddha Judge was very gracious in accepting the the um, correction as well. Can I say something that sounds a little bit hot takey? Oh, God, please. This is the kind of thing journalists should be dunked on about. <laughs> yes. And, and again, I don't I don't want I don't want Halper anything professional i you know get back out there kick ass and all that stuff i don't want anything to be bad but the crazy conspiracy theories and bias accusations that trump puts out there that stuff is stupid 
but getting the words and sentiment of a quote from a presidential contender right, that's legitimate. That's yeah. that's what we should be doing correctly. And if people are mad at journalists on Twitter, I'd rather them be mad at that, you know, rather than the made up, you hate my candidate and you're trying to, you know, undermine my candidate stuff. That that's just, that's just what, that's just part of the job. Right. So again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for the mobs to come and credit to Buddha judge and his team for being so gracious, but, but that's the kind of stuff readers should be mad about journalists about. I think that that's right. I think that the, that though that we were in an age where the mobs are almost inevitable though. And so the, and so, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the, the effort that the Buddha judge campaign made to sort of, you know, stifle the, 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 the uprising, um, you know, I, I mean, this is certainly not. A, I, I agree. I agree with you, it, definitely in theory, and and you know, definitely don't think, uh, don't wish any ill will upon Halper. And but I'm just glad that we didn't. This, I mean, this was not a situation where we needed like the ceremonial firing of a copy editor or something. You know, I mean, this it just it just seems like it just seems like the distance between no. it just seems like the distance between the acknowledgement of the error and just catastrophe is so short in this day and age that, you know, I'm, I'm happy that this is sort of, you know, passed by with, with relatively uh, little attention. Yeah. no, oh, I agree. And speaking of which Edward Isaac DeVere, the Atlantic tweets says politics in 2019, people sitting on their phones on a Sunday night made a Buddha judge quote, go viral. That was the mis That was the mistranscribed quote, bad faith interpretations turned it into a big issue for Buddha judge. The quote was wrong. The whole thing was done in 12 hours, and most of the world had no idea any of it happened. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Got a department here, David, for you. The Diet of Journalists. This is a bit from Republican Congressman Matt Gates, who is somehow always in the news. He was on mm. a Mark Levin Fox News show that I had never heard of. Um, I'm going to play a clip for you. A lot of this is just generic anti-media rant. But David, I want you to listen to the specific culinary details that Matt Gates provides when he's talking about journalists. I believe that far too many people in the Washington media have given up journalism and instead have taken on the role of advocacy. They don't believe that their job is to report on what is happening. They are trying to shape public opinion to be consistent with their worldview. It's a worldview where you eat nothing but kale and quinoa, where those of us who cling to our Bibles and our guns and our fried foods in real America are looked down upon. Now, in the binary choice of diets that Matt Gates proposes, <laughs> which side would you say that you and I fit on? The quinoa and kale side or the <laughs> clinging to fried foods side? <laughs> uh, definitely the latter. Although I did have kale in my lunch today, um, I, I I cling to my fried foods with with every bit of my lifeblood <laughs> and energy. Um. Yeah. If if Matt if Matt Gates wants to come have have lunch with the press box, uh, solely to see what we consume, I'm I'm sure we could accommodate him. There are lots of ways to attack journalists, even on cultural terms. But eating healthy would not seem to be your best line of attack. I just don't. I don't know who. I don't know. If people imagine journalists are or what they look like. <laughs> this is not. This is not a healthy group of people. Generally speaking, this is just. It's just not. And I just love that, that everybody's eating kale and quinoa. Not, again, nothing, I, you know, nothing about, and by the way, 
Speaking of journalists, I saw a few who, you know, most of the <laughs> jokes were like, oh, I eat all this crap. A couple of them were actually talking about the stuff they've cooked recently. Yeah. You know, yeah. all you have to do is throw the prompt to the journalists, right? Hey, tell right. me about your reporting process. And they keep, and they start talking about the stuff they cook. No, just go, no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. Matt Gates takes it back. We don't want to know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Go back to writing stories. Anyway, thanks to Justin Franz for bringing that to our attention. David, I don't have a dial quote of the week for you, but I do have a news story figure of the week. J.D. Jerber sends us along. Did you see the story about Memphis basketball player James Wiseman? Guy probably going to be the number one pick next year, but he was ruled ineligible by the NCAA because his family took money for moving expenses from Memphis coach Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Well, so but by, the way, a, by the way, before it was before Penny Hardaway was Memphis coach, just for the record. Yes, I'm not that's sure, right. I'm, <laughs> In Penny Hardaway's pre-coaching life, he gave some money to the family. Anyway, it's stupid. Don't Please do not take this as an endorsement of some dumb NCAA penalty. Anyway, here you have a basketball star being told he can no longer play. Would you believe, and I am not making this up, as Dave Barry used to say, would you believe his attorney is named Leslie Ballin, a.k.a. Les Ballin? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not true. It is absolutely true. What was the, the Simpsons? What was the Simpsons line? Less whining. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the yeah. suspended basketball player's attorney is named Les Ballin. Holy. Cow. And I went to his website. I want you. To, we we do shoe leather reporting here at the uh, press box. He looks like he could have been an extra in the firm. I mean, this is mm -hmm. this guy is this is Memphis all the way undergrad at University of Texas Law School at Memphis State. The firm's name is Ballin, Ballin and Fishman. Les oh Ballin. Oh my gosh, the official guy, attorney. I was going to say of, of this the, guy. Of literally, this NCAA guy. Players. This guy looks like he took as a picture of Hal Holbrook from the firm on his wall, and he's just like <laughs> modeling his career after. Can't you see him standing in the background when Tom Cruise walked in the room, and they were all giving him those stony looks, and it turns out he just scored well in the bar exam. Uh, I was going to say official attorney of all ineligible basketball players, but maybe of the press box. Less balling. Unbelievable. All right, time for David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline. Ooh. Friday's he yeah, Friday's headline about the death of a very woolly sheep was rest in fleece. As usual, readers were smarter even than the headline writers. Mary Mooplet says the headline should have been he will never be forgotten. Nick Sandberg uh, suggests sheerly departed. <laughs> Steve Hendrickson, this is a good one. Last wool and testament. Sean Fox says, We'll be missing you, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Jeff Gahagan, Austin George, Justin Greggett, Alex Stewart, and Suburban Bourbon all had the winner, though, David, which is died in the wool. <laughs> that is pretty perfect. Died in the wool. I love oh, it. Oh, this is good. Today's fun headline comes from Dylan Paris, David Eldred, and Craig David. It's from the Financial Times. It's Nigel Andrews's review of the movie The Irishman. It's a positive review, kind of a rave review. Here's what I'll give you. Think of the man Al Pacino plays in the movie, Jimmy Hoffa, and think of classic gangster movie lines. What is the Financial Times's strained pun headline? Oh man. Uh say hello to my little friend. Um <laughs> Start uh, with Jimmy Hoffa. You wanna play rough? Uh I know I'm trying to fit it. I'm trying to put Jimmy or Hoff into 
Uh, I always wanted to be a gangster. Um, make him. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make him. I'm gonna make him a Hoffa you can't refuse. Is a that Hoffa the, you can't a, refuse? Oh, a Hoffa you can't refuse. There we go. There we go. That's actually really good. Who? Who? Who was that from? Financial Times. Oh wow. Pretty go spectacular. A uh, Hoffa you can't refuse. He is David <laughs> Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Crystal made a production manager by Jim Cunningham. We're back Friday, bright and early. More lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. Some liberals tried to come to my hometown and start some trouble. (laughs) That ain't happening. No. I did get arrested. I got charged. That's all right. (laughs) I'd do it again, given the opportunity. (laughs) That's not true. That is real. It's crazy. It doesn't make make any sense to me. Can I say something that sounds a little bit hot takey? Oh, God, please. David was a somewhat portly, middle-aged, bald man with very pale skin and a lot of guitars. I don't understand. But I think not knowing just makes people go nuts. My guess is it's probably like one dude with money. I'd like to buy a bowel. Yes. No, not that one. Oh, man. Uh, no, not that one. Just say hello to my little friend. No. Uh, you want to mm-hmm. play rough? No. I'm, I'm getting too deep. I, I, I already feel it, but who cares? We don't want to know. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know. I'm trying to fit it. I'm trying to get back out there. Kick ass. <laughs> that stuff is stupid. But yeah, it's a, it is a weird, it's a weird, it's a, <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> but, you know, uh, for better and for more often than not worse. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just overreacting. Up the fucking wall. What I worry about is just this prolonged horse racy meta conversation that's never ending on television and, and everywhere else. Yeah. Sideshow Bob, Councilman Les Wynan says that you're not experienced enough to be mayor. Sir, what do you have to say about that? I'd say that Les Wynan ought to do more thinking and less whining. <laughs>